Welcome to the Parenting with Impact podcast with your hosts, Elaine Taylor-Klaus and Diane Dempster, co-creators of ImpactParents.com, an online community, award-winning blog, and service organization, helping parents all over the world to raise complex kids become capable, independent adults. Hi, everyone. Elaine and Diane here. And we know that you want your complex kids to grow up to be happy and independent. And yet you're not always sure how or when to help with that. In this podcast, we'll encourage you to collaborate with all kinds of complex kids and support them in navigating life and learning. And we'll interview leading experts from around the world, as well as parents in our own community, talking about how training for parents actually helps these complex kids. We'll talk about the issues we hear parents struggling with all the time and how a coach approach can support and empower your amazing young people. We won't tell you what to do. We're going to help you figure out how. So let's move on to the next conversation. Welcome back, everybody, to another conversation in the Parenting with Impact podcast. We are thrilled to have you here and to welcome the one and only Dr. Russell Ramsey here with us today. Thanks uh, it's for having been me. A few years in coming. I am so excited to be in this conversation with you today. Very much. We've been in each other's orbit and we're finally colliding. Yeah, it's taken a little while. You know, there's a lot happening in this world that we're in. Um, and, and we do encourage everybody to read more about Dr. Ramsey in the show notes. All that information is there. He is not going to be a stranger's name to many of you because he's been in this arena for many years, belying young years, of course, not that many years, <laughs> but so why don't you get it's us not, it's not the years, it's the mileage. So. There, there you go. go. Beautiful. Maybe, uh, Talk a little bit about how you ended up doing what you're doing. What's what's the backstory for our audience to get started? Yeah. Tell you what, psychology ended up being something. I took a psychology 102 course in undergrad at the University of Miami and who made the final four in the NCAA and both Congratulations. And men's and women's. But it just seemed like really fascinating and it seemed like it'd be interesting for a long time. And it has been the ADHD side of things was a total accident and fortuitous. Mm. I did not go to Penn as a postdoc looking to do ADHD. My friend, colleague, and frequent co-author, Dr. Tony Rostein, mm. a very noted child psychiatrist in the Philadelphia area, and also became a specialist in adult psychiatry, had the idea around the time of Driven to Distraction about maybe starting an adult program. And he had started the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia's highly regarded child ADHD program. Right. And I just happened to be a young psychologist at the time. And my line for the two of us is everything interests both of us and we can't say no to work. So I shrugged my shoulders <laughs> and said, sure, I think you know, maybe we can modify CBT for adult ADHD. And that's how I got into it. And here I am. We just had our 24th anniversary of that first meeting. So the Penn ADHD program is in its 25th year. That's amazing. And yeah, that's truly amazing. And I had the the honor of giving the Lifetime Achievement Award to, to Tony many years ago. I line about Tony for those who know Tony and those who are about to know Tony. Yeah, yeah. it's very, very true. Very vivid personality. Yeah, a wonderful so, so specifically, what you just said, I want to I want to highlight because I, I suspect it perked a lot of ears. It was about adapting CBT for ADHD. Right. Talk a little bit more about what that means. Cognitive behavioral therapy was as a form people say, how is it different than talk therapy? It is a talk therapy. The two things it emphasized, one was uh, you know, by Dr. Aaron Beckett Penn, the role of thoughts in 
influencing behavior, emotion, and everything else. Another thing that is underappreciated that Dr. Beck brought to the table was the ability of individuals to track and change their own thoughts, making the therapist obsolete as opposed to, and I say this with all respect, and it's more complex than this, but the expert psychoanalyst or the the expert behavioral therapist who knows the uh, reinforcement schedule and, you know, the functional analysis, and and that's overly simplistic to make the point here. So hopefully my friends and colleagues will grant me something here, but when it came to adapting ADHD, and there were multiple groups like Mary Solanto, Steve Safran, Alexander Phillips, and Susan Young in the UK, uh, our group, you don't think yourself into having ADHD, but it was a focus on the implementation of the, of the coping strategies for a group that historically has difficulties. It's not a knowledge problem, it's a performance problem, ADHD. I know what I need to do, but I just don't do it when I need to do it. Which However, the, over the last highlight week, marker for those listening, right? If you, yeah. if you want to know what what does ADHD look like in a nutshell, I know what it is I'm supposed to do, and I can't get myself to do what I'm expected to do. Right, right. I and I need to do it. Right. And but we are finding that you know even if it's it doesn't cause ADHD, and even Dr. Beck later on said that was like one of the misunderstandings about ADHD that it says thoughts cause everything. Mm-hmm. Um, even though early writings are pretty close to that. But we now know living with ADHD and apropos the the work you and Diane are doing, uh, parenting with ADHD, the experience of living with ADHD, parenting ADHD, however we want to frame this, there's going to be a history there that can prompt somebody to think a certain way and probably have some frustrating experiences that lead people to doubt themselves, doubt whether certain skills will work think themselves out of certain situations, be maybe more pessimistic about things, a whole host of things. So even though it may not cause ADHD, I call it a crucial ligament between intention and action. Well, what you're saying is that, I'm sorry, that it's almost that it's not about the thoughts can change your ADHD. It's more that the thoughts might inhibit your ability to be able to focus on what's going on and, and because the shame, the guilt, the everything else that kind of falls underneath it. For Focusing on what's going on and also, especially as adults, maybe being able to adapt and personalize a lot of the skills to how you work mm-hmm. um, and how you work best. And maybe there were some things that were encouraged or instructed in school. <laughs> I mean, I'll tell my clients, if we're talking about your procrastination and all I bring to the table is telling you to start earlier, sue me for malpractice please please know that but it's like my phrase that i use like when people say well i know what i need to do what good is just talking about it going to be i say i think we're pretty good at reverse engineering how you procrastinate not just uh start earlier it's how do you think yourself out what role do the emotions the ug feelings about what you have to do or the history with say a writing assignment or even a writing task or something like yeah, around the time that we're talking, doing taxes and, you know, what's the history with using a planner and some of the frustrations that make perfect sense, why you might be skeptical or have some negative predictions, but can we rework that, have some novel new experience, new learning experiences where you change your relationship with the coping strategies with yourself, with your emotions, and let's just see if we can nudge things in a direction that you want them to go in. And I would imagine this is apropos of parenting. Uh, what much. can, with all respect, you know, be, I think, very complex parenting situations. Yeah. 
Indeed. And there are kind of two directions I, I'd like to go with what I've just heard you say. So you, the term you use is the ligament between intention and action. Really poignant term, because I think there's a lot of work in the ADHD space around the action. Mm-hmm. And we from the coaching realm put a lot of emphasis on the intention. Right. If you don't start with setting the intention, it's very hard to engineer or, as you pointed out, reverse engineer mm-hmm. and then re-engineer right. to get to the action. So will you talk a little bit about the role of intention in managing it? It's I mean, another phrase that's maybe overused sometimes, but I call it the valuation of a task. And it can be working in alignment with one's values. How do you want to be? Why do you want to do this? thing? Why do you want to get taxes out of the way? Nobody wants to do it. I was an okay student in my life. I don't think I was ever really in the mood to do homework, but how do we get ourselves at least engaged in these things and the other side of it and in light alignment with our values. And this is a consistent finding across humans. We like doing stuff. We like getting things done, but that's, that's part of that working memory of being able to hold the end in mind as we're getting started. So we really emphasize a lot on getting engaged getting through to that period where we're actually doing it and hopefully having some affirming experiences like, okay, Mm -hmm. this is hard, but I'm making progress. I can see it. Or I can see my child responding to something that I try to do it. Maybe not perfectly. um, And that can be how perfectionism comes in at times, but I can see it making a difference or I can catch myself being, I'm being a little more patient right now. And that's a good mm-hmm. thing. Or you well, know, a, par- a partner, a co-parent supporting you say, you handled that well, even if it didn't work out well. And we get some positive reinforcement uh, aligned with uh, what we're intending to do and some partial partial success is success. Yeah. Well, and what you're describing is that there's at least two parts of this. So one is the understanding why you want to and, and kind of connecting back into the values and the 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 motivation is language we might use, right? And then the other piece of it is saying that's not enough, right? It's just sort of, you also have to, it's more than just wanting to do something that gets you to be able to do it. There's another piece of it, which is the behavior change is what I'm inferring. Is that right? Yeah, and what I'll talk about is the engagement. Like even just Mm -hmm. that, uh, I call it the UG feeling. And I got that from a client because he was saying, yeah, I know I can do the homework. I know I can do the assignment. I'm smart enough, but I don't feel like doing it. Right. And the UG is what gets in the way. And it is sort of like exposure for anxiety. Can you, and we're not talking like, I have to work on this for an hour before I get relief. It's usually a couple minutes. Mm-hmm. Once you're, you know, it's almost like Tom Hanks paddling off the island. Once he's over the, the big but, waves and he's out yeah. now, Grant, he probably had like eight degree sunburn or whatever you had by the time <laughs> he got picked up by the boat. But it's sort of like getting over that wave and then you're paddling. And now, now you're engaged in doing whatever you set out to do. And that's, you, you, you have some positive feelings associated with that. I'm not saying it's euphoria, but it's like almost resignation is motivation. Oh, all right. I might as well finish the homework assignment. And then we get to the positive feeling on the other side. Yeah. Well, what really jumps at me about what you're saying, there, there are a lot of things, but there's this notion of effort, energy. And, you know, one of the things we've learned about executive function is one of the areas of executive function that's impacted, that's challenged, is effort management or energy management. And mm-hmm. so that UG factor, that engagement is 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 part of what's needed to, to muster the energy mm-hmm. or to, to be willing to put the effort in, because sometimes it's the it's this the anticipation of effort that shuts us down before we ever actually start paddling past that wave. Oh yeah. We, we think ourselves out of it. The emotions mm-hmm. go up even with things like 
choice fatigue. And that's oh. what, and, you know, one of the things with <laughs> um, one of the things with planning or co- you know the fancy phrase is pre-commitment. You're spending less energy deciding what to do. Not that every day has to be planned down to the uh, minute and all for spontaneity. But if you already decide, okay, this is when I'm working on taxes, I'll do it for at least 30 minutes. That reduced cognitive load. The brain is about like three to five percent of our body's mass and uses about 20 percent of the calories. And there's actually, I ran across some interesting work where even sitting quietly, we're probably, our brain is burning like 15 calories. If we're paying attention to a lecture or something we have to learn, the brain itself is burning like 65 calories in an hour and reading is somewhere in between. So if we say it makes me tired just thinking about it. Yeah, gosh, it does. 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 (laughs) And switching, switching between tasks or doing other things and then going, oh, I know I have this thing to do later. It's sort of like we're running laps in our head. We're burning calories, even though it's not directly associated with getting the task done. And there is like probably about 45 to 50 minutes getting engaged into a task where we go. It's sort of like a a, a good analogy. It's like a nonstop flight Mm -hmm. rather than having three stops or up and down, up and down, up and down. If you can launch and do a nonstop flight, that's a lot more efficient. You get there quicker. I'm not telling this is. Not a knowledge problem, it's a performance problem, but all these things that can be used in different assortments to get engaged in whatever we want to get engaged in and also having breaks, downtime, relationship time, just like with parenting, have positive time with your children where you're not worried about reward schedules or things like that. You're just hanging out doing stuff and we enjoy it more. I'm not telling anybody anything they don't know, but it's... But sometimes a new lens for listening to it can be really powerful. Sure, sure. That's part of the reframing and sometimes the the novelty. Mm -hmm. The question that I think a lot of parents may be asking is, it sounds like this requires a certain level of maturity and intrinsic motivation and self-awareness. And how do we begin to teach this sort of stuff to our kids who may not be oh, I get the fact that I've got that UG feeling and I don't want to start something, but I'm going to try to figure out how to get over the UG. Uh, two thoughts that come to mind is one modeling and modeling aloud what you're doing yes. and even following things like uh-huh. the outbuilding. And uh, that was just like what resonated for me with that one client mm-hmm. and seeing the stick. But people, you know, you could come up with your own word. Your child could come up with their word. And labeling emotions, too, has been found to reduce am- amygdala firing and is another way t- to use the language system to change our relationship with the feelings, not turn them off, obviously, but having that container, even if it's not precise or it's idiosyncratic or a child has their own way to describe their anxiety or their frustration with math homework or whatever it may be, having that container to put it in helps at least turn the dial down a little bit to hopefully stay engaged. And these are so the parents can model it and talk about their own UG feelings and maybe having the child, hey, do you want to help me get started in unloading the dishwasher? I'll help you get started on math homework. Maybe we can do the, the first problem together and, and yeah. just different ways to shape it. Not all or nothing, but being present. And I think it also helps the parents. One, there's, there's some research on what's called distanced self-talk, talking to ourselves aloud by name or as you, the same way we would for somebody else has been found not specific to ADHD, but been found to be helpful for emotional management and also Mm -hmm. for task initiation. You know what? You just need to take those envelopes that say important tax document and close to the dining room table and just to open them. Just 
organize them. You're not doing anything really productive yet, but you've just exponentially increased the likelihood or sitting with your child doing the first math problem. Yeah, you, you just know, off to a good start. I, I was I was doing another podcast episode and with somebody who talked about one of the things she had learned from us and later in coaching was reframing and what and then we started talking about rephrasing what you just spoke to, I think, is is the combination of the two. It's reframing mm-hmm. how we think about it, rephrasing how we language it mm-hmm. to, in, to invite ourselves, compel ourselves to perform differently based on how we think and talk to ourselves. Right, well, right. and for the neurotypical parents out there, it's also about not dismissing it. It's not about saying, oh, this isn't so hard. You can just do it, get it done. Recognizing that if it was that easy, it might they would done. do it. <laughs> yeah. nobody, nobody wants to sit doing three hours of math homework a night. You no. Know, it's hard and yeah, being able to translate it into, okay, this may not be hard for me or I don't get it, but I can see and yeah, let's try to do something else or, or just even asking and inviting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even I'm not expecting necessarily an answer, but saying, hey, we'll figure it out, you know, reinforcing yeah. the process and, hey, we'll work on this together. We'll figure it out. We'll talk with your teacher, whatever the case may be. Well, so you just hit the word process, which was the other question earlier I wanted to bring up, which is one of the things Diane and I've spent a lot of time the last decade or so trying to figure out what is it about the coach approach. And I know you've done a lot of research with David work about CBT and coaching and, and where they come together and where they depart. And what we've landed on, for lack of better terms, so I'm looking to you for insight, is that coaching tends to be a very process-oriented approach. So we're looking at the process that people go through to get something done instead of only holding them accountable to the outcome. Can you speak to that and where CBT comes into that? You know what? I would say that that's probably been a necessary, or at least I found it to be, at least in, in our shop, a necessary approach, you know, an adaptation for adults with ADHD. I know with, with Dr. Beck, he was very much into Socratic questioning, you know, trying uh, helping people and just through discussions, trying to help people, you know, discover uh, and rediscover their strengths or whatever the case may be. And, you know, that would help, like, especially in the early days, counter some of the the pessimistic thoughts with depression. It, right. it got mislabeled as, you know, power of positive thinking, even though maybe with depressed people, that was a little more part of it. But bringing it back to, you know, CBT for adult ADHD and coaching, yeah, you know, I'd say that it is more about the process because, you know, that line is not a knowledge problem. Telling somebody to start earlier or throwing a planner at them. Yeah, planner is a great tool, but I'm not the handiest guy. You could hand me and I still have to look up which one's the Phillips head. I guess it's the pointy one, the Phillips head screwdriver versus the flathead one. You could, you could give me a whole toolbox and I'm... I still no, don't know how to use the tools. <laughs> oh, if anything, I tell my wife, dial nine and one just in case <laughs> if you ever see me doing stuff around the house. So it's more about the process, even something like a planner where somebody goes, I know the theory behind it, but sitting with them saying, what do you want to do at nine o'clock? How, how long? Three hours? You don't do the stuff you like for three hours. So let's schedule it for 45 minutes. How long does it take you to walk across campus or drive across town? And I've had people go, I've never done it this way, but now I see. And, and this right. is, and like I tell people, I might have a recipe for how I present it, but it is like a cooking recipe where you're going to have your own spices and flavors and things like you go, okay, I see the gist of it, but here's what works for me, color coding or, or some other way to use the tool. But that's the ideal 
of finding what works for you, being able to personalize it and make it work the, the best way it can for you. Okay. So we need to take a quick break. And then I want to come back and talk about, I want to ask you about procrastivity. Will do. Hi, it's Elaine. And if you like this podcast, you'll love our coach approach. Whether you're a parent looking for support or a professional supporting families, we invite you to download a free guide with 12 key coaching tools at impactparents.com slash gift. You can begin using a coach approach to help kids become more independent or improve all of your conversations at work and at home. That's impactparents.com slash gift. So the term I heard referenced about and by you was procrastivity. And I, and I was joking when we first started today, I had a little slip of paper on my desk for months because I knew we, were, we had this scheduled and I wanted to ask you about procrastivity. So will you talk about it a little bit? What does that mean? That's another diamond I got from a client. I was talking with him. Uh, it was somebody who we had had the plan for him to work on a report for work. I think we had a Friday meeting. It was due on Monday. And he, we had this great plan for how he's going to work on it. Came back Monday, Tuesday, whenever we met, said, yeah, I did all these chores around the house, ran all these errands, all these fix-it things. And I still left the report till 10 o'clock at night and pulled the all-nighter. And I was pointing that out to him. You know, you were actually really productive, but you did all these things other than the report. And he said, yeah, we call that procrastivity. <laughs> now, I did not invent the term. I looked it up on Urban Dictionary, a very <laughs> reputable source. Right. Um, but as far as I can tell, it's been around since 2010, according to Urban Dictionary. But what it is, it's avoiding a higher priority, more time sensitive task by doing other things that are productive. It's also knowing, known as productive procrastination. And right. in the grand scheme of things, it is a way to salvage a day. Well, I'm not going to do taxes today, so let me take care. I'm going to mow the yard. I'm going to do these other things. It is a way to get the most out of it. But with folks with ADHD, like that young man with the, with the deadline, but what I really took away from it, it got me thinking well, what is it about, like for him, the errands, if let's just say he mowed the yard, mowed the lawn or something like that. What is it about those tasks that faced with a report or homework that all of a sudden some other tasks we might have been procrastinating on? What is it about those tasks that all of a sudden seem more doable and actionable than the, than the report? Mm-hmm. And are there ways we can repurpose those skills for the priority tasks? And some of the things that emerge from that reverse engineering is the escape or procrastivity tasks tend to be more hands-on or manual. Mm-hmm. So errands, stuff around the house, or even within academics, there's play out like a rock, paper, scissors algorithm, like reading is easier than writing and a problem set is e- easier than reading. They tend to be a clearer way to get started where somebody already has a script all right, unloading the dishwasher, easy, mowing your yard, easy, uh, taxes, writing an essay, tougher, more uncertain. It's um, clear what needs to be done. Is what clear clear sense of pro- starting and making progress and sustaining progress. Mm-hmm. And usually, not always, but usually a clear and definitive endpoint within the mm-hmm. same day. The yard, the lawn is done, the dishwasher is empty, things like that, as opposed to a paper or report where we might go, okay, I worked on it for two hours. I'm still not sure how close I am to getting it done. But I think there was a lot of things there that um, have repurposed um, in terms of, I actually have a worksheet. It's called, it's clumsy title, but I insisted on the title, the How You Don't Do Things form that's in the Rethinking Adult ADHD book that came from this. And there's a chapter on procrastivity and everything I just summarized here. 
Well, but going back to what you were saying earlier is, you know, finishing stuff, getting stuff done is part of what helps the brain to motivate to do something else. We always say, you know, the solutions are in the success or success breeds success, right? And so that's what you're describing, doing all the chores in the house, if it doesn't exhaust you, might give you the energy lift you need to go, okay, now, now I can do my taxes. Well, I think I also but very often that it also gets your brain in gear, doesn't it? Can but it, you like, know what? And I'm for whatever works. Right. You know, that's the case. But a lot of people will say, yeah, I'll do the lawn, then I'll be in the mood to do taxes. But a lot of times, <laughs> you never, you know, it, no, they never well, do it. You know, because the mental is physical. So the mental mm-hmm. is tiring, but it's this is not empirical, but I would say it's probably easier going from something like taxes, then you're done and you go, okay, I might not be ready to file, but I worked on it for an hour. I feel good. I did something. Now it's probably easier to go mow the lawn, something that's less cognitive load than it is going from the lawn or something physical and then going to something mental because it, it just takes, usually the mental stuff is a little more threatening to our one financial sense, like maybe with mm-hmm. taxes or things like writing or an assignment with school where there are grades still, the lawn is sort of pass fail. Did I do it or not? Right. Grade so and my even if I fin- yeah. 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 And, and if I fit, even if I hand in the paper, am I going to get a passing grade? And this might be drawn on somebody's past experiences. So yeah, if somebody goes, somebody might have a couple things at the office that they do. Let me do this. Check a couple emails, check on reports, call a couple people. Okay. I'm warmed up. Let me work on the monthly right. report. So it's really the personalized, but very independent. Generally, what works. That's distracted like the young man and he waited until Sunday night to do the report. Yes, he was really productive, but it was more like he was um, pushing himself away from actually doing the task and justifying not doing it and justifying the delay once we got in there and looked at it. And it's, a lot of it's very gut level emotions, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we need to start wrapping this conversation up. Hard to believe. Mm-hmm. Um, let's let's turn for a moment. How can people find out more about you? I know you you mentioned the book. The title of the book is Oh, the most recent one was Rethinking Adult ADHD, and it's really a focus on the role of cognitions in adults with ADHD. The one I'm working on now is an adult ADHD and anxiety workbook. Great. So that should we be will put early, those early 2024. We'll put them when we, as we have them. We'll put them in the in the links, and um, definitely, it's always on our reading carousel. Everybody, I'm um, getting in touch with me. I have a website www the letter cbt number four adhd.com and the links to the books are on there and just other information about stuff I have going on media links. I'll probably link this one with your permission when it comes up and absolutely. And, and just to be clear, it's CBT as in therapy. Cause sometimes people say, think I say CBD and they get really excited, really disappointed when I explain. Although that's another podcast episode. Maybe we that's, should that's, do for that somebody else. that's for somebody yeah, else. We'll have it in the show notes, everyone, but CBT for ADHD.com. Yeah. Um, and and you've got a transition coming up in your life uh, from when leaving, we're recording yeah. this. Right. I'm going to be leaving the University of Pennsylvania at the end of June, leaving on good terms, no ill will, just ready for a new challenge. And I'm just going to be starting my own uh, solo, independent, total telepsychology practice. Telepsychology. And so you'll yeah, be just totally, totally virtual. It, but still in Pennsylvania. Well, Pens- I'm licensed in Pennsylvania, but I also have for psychologists what's called the SIPACT credential. Yep. 
It is a consortium of states where if you're licensed in your home state and you have this credential, you can treat people remotely living in other states. So it's about 33 states now and the District of Columbia and even one of the U.S. territories are participating. So I also can uh, reach people outside PA with that was also an appeal of going solo. Beautiful. Congratulations on on the work that you've done. Uh, the contributions you've made to this field over the over your career to date. And I'm excited to see where you go from here, because uh, those of us who started late life careers, you know that you're you're starting something new as as a sort of an entrepreneur. It's going to have a different tone to it. So I'm excited to see where you go. I'm curious to see where it ends up to. Yeah, I get it. I get it. So to those of you listening, uh, oh, wait, one more thing we want to wrap with before we close with them, anything else you want to share with our listeners today that you feel like we didn't talk about or you want to reemphasize any any sort of closing insights that you want to share? You know what? Uh, just pulling one out of the air, it's a little play on words that I sort of like, and I think it's apropos for people helping adults with ADHD or anybody with ADHD, but my specialty. You know, rehabilitation is a field that looks at getting somebody back to a previous level of functioning, like physical rehab, stuff like that. Habilitation with an H is helping people make the most of what they have already. Maybe they're underutilizing it. And I say at its best, probably CBT coaching, other supports are habilitation, like looking at all the goals, things that might've been put to the side or assumed like, Oh, maybe I can't do that, but really looking at unleashing potential and at least giving things a try, even if they don't work out, it would be, hey, I gave it a try and I know for sure, but a whole lot more will work out. So, you know, there's a lot of different ways to pursue change and progress. Well, and what I've liked the most about your conversation is that there's two parts of this. There's the mindset management and the executive function management. And it's, yeah, yeah. you don't always think about the two of those together. And it's a valuable conversation. Right, yeah. right. Well, you know what, part of the, um, you know what, there's a, well, I I think you guys talked about quotes and I'm going to butcher this one because I don't have it in front of me, but it was like, and there's another one I was going to use, but it's when you press the pause button on a machine, it stops. But when you push the pause button on humans, they start because you can reimagine what you're doing, work in an alignment with your values. You get to reset and reapproach things. So I always like that, like that quote. I love that. That's great. Okay. So, but now what was the quote you wanted that you were originally playing? Oh, it was Charles Darwin. <laughs> I just ran across one of my, my pandemic reads. I got to read Janet Brown's two volume uh, biography of Charles Darwin. And somewhere along wow. the lines, he said, the mind is a chaos of delight. And I just think that was a great line. Oh, is Ooh. that for my family? <laughs> well, you know what? The longer quote, I had to write it down. Um, the mind is a chaos of delight out of which a world of future and more quiet pleasure will arise. So. Oh, I love mm. that. That's really cool. On so many levels. Thank you for that. It was beautiful. Awesome. All right, Dan- Diane, we ready to wrap this up? Yeah, I think so. Um, um, Dr. Ramsey, thank you so much for being with us today. This has been just a, a great conversation. And I know our parents took a lot away from it, both for themselves as well as potentially for their kids. Well, you're very kind and you guys are doing great work and are a great support. And it was nice to be able to spend some time with both of you. Yeah, thank you. We enjoyed it. To those of you listening, uh, we want to check in. What is your takeaway from this episode? What's what's the insight that you're gleaning from from the conversation you've been listening to? You know, with coaching, we always want to help you take what you've gotten and apply it in your life. So take a moment to ask yourself, what's your insight? 
And how do you want to take it forward with you into your week this week? What's next for you and how does this apply? And as always, thanks for all that you're doing for yourself and for your kids. At the end of the day, it makes a huge difference. Take care, everyone. You've been listening to the Parenting with Impact podcast with Elaine and Diane. For more information on the Impact Parents community or to join Sanity School for Parents, please visit impactparents.com. If you like what you've heard, please share this podcast with friends who need similar guidance and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. For the essentials of Elaine and Diane's coach approach to parenting, download a free tip sheet at impactparents.com slash podcast. Behavior therapy training for parents is actually recommended as a first-line treatment for complex kids. For information about Sanity School, our training program for parents or teachers, which has helped thousands of families around the globe, visit impactparents.com slash sanity school. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.